Okay, we're in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. If you didn't get a set of notes on the way in, if you want hard copy notes, raise your hand, and somebody from the Connections team will hook you up. You got to keep your hand up till they get to you. You can get the digital copy of the notes from the social links or our mbtkc.org website, and you can take notes off, off the digital PDF. Um, Philippians chapter 4, everything that we're going to see here, these are commands, instructions from God's Word that are lived out in light of the reality of our future resurrection. And so what we need to do, you know, this is, this is where it gets real, okay? This is, this is tactical, practical Christian living, and so we're going to need God's grace. So can we just if you're getting notes and all that, that's cool, but just enter into prayer with me. We want to trust the Lord to help us this morning. We're, we're going to need His grace. Father, we love You. God, thank You for how greatly You have loved us. We thank You for the Lord Jesus, for Your great love for us, His willingness to be counted our sin and to suffer Your wrath over our wickedness. And then, Lord, His death, His burial, His resurrection your power, the power of God on display. God, we're in awe. You went all in on buying us back from our iniquity, and, and so we're grateful. Lord, we want to live the life, that new life that you've placed in us. We want to live it out. It needs to work out in our lives, and so God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our understanding, Lord? Would you help us to see and receive your word, that we won't just nod our heads, but we'll submit to its truth and, and trust you to live it out in our lives. Lord, functionally, we want to be a healthy local church, and, and it's only by your word. It's only through the empowerment of your spirit. God, it's by your grace that we'll be partakers of the divine nature. And so, God, we admit, we confess, we desperately need you this morning. We're grateful for the work that you're doing in your people in this place. Be glorified. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of my brothers and sisters that, that Lord, this is a church that is endeavoring to, uh, to equip every minister as, uh, every member as a minister. And, and Lord, uh, I thank you for their faithfulness. Uh, for those that have been able to return, we give you praise. For those that are still sheltering in place, Lord, we just ask for your grace on them that they would continue to be endeavoring to connect, to be fitly joined as best they can and help us as a church. Uh, to support them in that. And for those that, that, that can return, but Lord, frankly, the world is getting their hooks in them. God, would you open eyes? Would you help us to, to gently but, but firmly call them back to a place of participation in your mission? Lord, you're worthy. Uh, every day that you're t that, that's the, the, the return of Christ for the bride tarries, is another day that we can win souls and make disciples and equip people to multiply ministry. And so, Lord, we want to be all about that. God, I thank you for the faithfulness as stewards. Uh, MBT, our, you know, it's a church of faithful givers. And so, God, would you bless their tithes, their offering, their sacrifice in giving. And, Lord, bless it to support ministry here, but, Lord, to see it multiplied around the world. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, we love you because you first loved us. Uh, we will spend eternity uh, working to communicate that. You deserve all the praise, all the glory. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so everything that we're seeing this morning is how we live in light of Christ's return. Now, I want you to think about how I think most of us are wired naturally before we get into Philippians chapter 4. When you have something that's coming, some event, something that you have to be prepared for, that because that event is coming at you, that makes all the difference in the world. It will hold you accountable to prepare for that event. If you don't have the event coming, right, without that point of accountability, um, you'll just kind of take it easy and watch TV, right? You'll put your feet up. That's just how we're wired. For example, exercise. I don't know many people that just work out to be strong and look good. I mean, unless you're just really vain. Uh, That's just not how most of us are wired. Now, you know, some people, that may be the only objective, uh, to to look good and be strong. Uh, And there's value in being fit, right? I mean, my goal is to, however long God gives me on this planet, uh, I want to, you know, if I'm still here in my 80s, I want to be ministering in my 80s. My my thought is if on the day that I die, I gave myself a bath and I wiped my own tail, well then success, I won, right? Uh, I want to keep under my body so that that if God still has me here when I'm 80, well, I want to be serving, I want to be working. So there's there's that perspective, Um, but what you have to have is a goal, okay, a goal that makes it a goal that's so much more valuable than any pain or any inconvenience, any discomfort that the preparation can cause because when event, right, event time comes. So, for example, we got the Grayland 5K coming up. I will be running the Grayland 5K probably fatter than I've ever been in my life. Um, praise the Lord. It's been a rough year. Okay, so, but I will do whatever it takes to beat Pastor Best. Uh, whatever it takes so that he knows he has been soundly defeated on race day. Well, it's worth it. I'll keep running. I'll keep working out because Chris can't beat me. That just, that, 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 I, can't, I can't let that happen. <laughs> Pray for us. <laughs> That's like the Christian life, right? That's how the Christian life works. We're working out. Don't you know we're prepping for a future event if you are biblically focused, you know event, an event is coming. It's the return of Christ for his bride, and we will give an account for how we've lived our lives in Christ. And that's what we need to see. Chapter 4 is just tactical, practical Christian living in light of Christ's return. Philippians 4.1 says, therefore. You know, anytime you see one of those therefore or wherefore words, you have to ask yourself what? What's it there for? Okay, that is pointing you back to chapter 3. You remember what we saw in Philippians chapter 3? We saw two major things. First, we need to watch who we're following in this life. See, there's people like Paul who their one desire is to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. They want to know Christ, and so they enter into the fellowship of his suffering. They're willing to take up their cross and follow Christ. They're willing to be made conformable to his death. And so in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, hey, we all need help, so you need to follow after me. People like me and my posse, people who are all about laying their life down, living for Christ. Find people like them. Mark them out. Be with people like that because there's another group out running, and we see them in verses 18 and 19, and they live like dogs who are all about just getting what they want in the flesh. 
Their God is their belly. They want what they want the way they want it. They want it right now. And if you're not careful, you'll end up living like them. So that was the second major thing that we saw at the end of chapter three is you gotta watch the focus of your life. You're either gonna be fleshly focused in your life, you're gonna live like your belly is your God and you're just gonna live to satisfy what you desire in the flesh. It's what you want, it's your way, it's your will. It's all about you all the time. Or you're gonna get an eternal perspective and you're gonna realize knowing Christ the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death, right? That's worth it. It'll be worth it when we see Jesus. You're either going to have a fleshly focus or a, or, or a heavenly perspective. Look at Philippians 3 verse 20. Paul says, for our life, our citizenship, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, verse 21, shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And I know you may be hot this morning. You may think you don't have a vile body. A vile body. Uh, pray for me. I'm tongue-tied this morning. Tongue-tied this morning. I can't even say tongue-tied. I'm tongue-tied this morning. You may think, you know, I'm young. I'm svelte. I'm hot. I don't think my body's vile. No, that's not true. Okay, go, go like, what, three hours after a good hard workout. Three days without a shower. 30 days in the grave, that's your flesh. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you may have forgot this, but you have a vile body. No fights, please. You have a vile body. Uh, he's going to change it. Our vile bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, here's how he does it, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So when you get that, when you understand that truth, and you get a hold of that, you become unstoppable. You can face any situation. You can endure any problem, any trial, because you know who you are in Christ. You know what God is doing in your life. You know that a process has been set in motion. God's at work in you. And so listen, you want to get this down. I know this. The day I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, God put his life in me. And we saw this two weeks ago, maybe it was three weeks ago in Philippians. That life that God put in you at salvation, it will grow until it matures. It will keep growing until Christ is ultimately manifest. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And how does he do that? Well, Philippians 3.21 told us it's by his power. It's according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It's the power of God. Whenever you confessed your sin and repentance of your sin and you cried out to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ to have mercy on you, to forgive your sin, to come into your heart and life and save you, when you trusted as Christ as your sin bearer, the life of Christ was placed in you. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1 says, that power is at work on the inside of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is right now at work, present tense, at work in your life. So do you know why you forget to keep your focus on your future, your heavenly future with Christ, on a future resurrection? You lose that perspective when you, when you don't see or believe that God as your Father is loving you, that He's working that resurrection power in you right now. 
because you don't believe the Bible or you don't really trust that that's really true. You don't believe on His Word, and as a result, if you are a Christian, the problem on the floor this morning is, is you don't actually know who you really are. You don't actually understand what you are. The life of God Himself is being grown, right? You are being conformed in this life to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when Christ appears, these vile bodies, remember a Christian, I mean, a, a garden to a, or a, a, a graveyard to a Christian is nothing but a garden, right? These bodies are seeds planted, waiting to sprout. And when the sun of righteousness comes for the return of the church, uh, to, to, to rapture the church, when he returns to receive his bride, we all sprout. Our vile bodies are fashioned like unto his glorious body. You ought to be able to say, you are a child of God. That's who I am. I'm a son of God. That blows my mind every time I think about it. I get to be a son of the living God. I am an eternal creature. My life has been made one with the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, I'm a new creature in Christ. My old life's passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I am, as a child of God, in direct 24-7 contact with the creator of the universe. If you're a Christian, you are too. How easy it is in the world to forget that, huh? If the flesh has the focus, you'll forget. You're actually in 24. You say, how do you know that? Well, I read my Bible. Hebrews chapter 10 says, I have direct access to God himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that God made me as a believer one spirit with him. My spirit is one spirit with the spirit of God. How amazing is that? Do you remember? Do you, I mean, who do you think you are? Did you forget who you are? If you have made Christ your Lord and Savior, you have an incredible destiny. You've been created to be eternally one in God Himself, one with God Himself. Maybe we need to spend more time pondering that because it changes how we roll. You are accepted in the beloved. You are alive in Christ. You are victor. You have direct access to God 24-7. Or did you forget that? So don't approach God as a worm in the flesh. That's all you ever were in the flesh you are. But even that will be changed. See, you're not like the lost world. You're a child of God. You're royalty. This is a room full of princes and princesses. Act like it, right? Because your physical appearance, right? What's, it's, it's not physically apparent in how you are right, right now, right, in terms of how your flesh looks right now. Uh, it's not physically apparent what you really are just yet. But when you get that eternal focus, that will allow you to face anything in this life. It will get you through any trial this week. It's what will empower you to fulfill the mission and sometimes it's painful. The mission that God has called us to will be faced with much sacrifice. But God gives you everything you need to press forward. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we find out that it's by, again, same thing here in verses 3 and 4, it's by His divine power, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And how does He do that? Well, it's through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So God's called you to live his life. Well, how are you going to do it? Verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these exceeding great and precious promises, it's by 
the Word that God has given to us, we're made partakers of God's divine nature. Here it is, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So get this down in your notes. If you receive biblical truth, biblical truth received should always result in a work received. Why? Because God told you who you are. He gave you your marching orders. He gave you his exceeding precious promises so that you can live the life that God has placed inside of you. And you can do it because you know, I mean, you can do it facing anything because you know it'll be worth it all when you see Jesus. So how is the truth of the resurrection in chapter 3? How does that work itself out in the life of the believer? Okay, so everything that we're going to see in chapter 4, the commands, the instructions, you can carry them out in light of the promised resurrection. Anything that you think is too hard, no, it's not too hard. The life of God is in you. You can do it. It'll be worth it when Christ comes for you. And so here it is, okay? Chapter 4 is all about, in light of the resurrection, just start thinking right, start living right. So, Lord willing, we'll get through verses 1 through 3 this morning. The first thing we got to do is stand fast. Stand fast how? Well, okay, so let's look at it. Verse 1, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. And we saw this already. We saw it in our our study in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Paul saying, in other words, to his disciples at the church at Philippi, you are my crown of rejoicing. So I gave you some, you know, some cross-references in your notes. I want you to study this out because you can tell whether or not you're going to have reward at the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you whether or not you're going to receive reward, okay? Because you can, you can know. Uh, you know, here in verse 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells his disciples, you're my reward. You're my crown of rejoicing. You're the fruit that I'll have at the judgment seat of Christ. See, if you're a part, if you're growing as a disciple, if you're a part of helping us make disciples, there will be people at the judgment seat that you can point to that you invested your life, the Word of God, you invested that into them, and now they're living it out, and their life is productive as a disciple of Christ. And you can point to them and say, you're my crown of rejoicing. You're my joy at the judgment seat. So here's the command that Paul gives to his disciples. He says, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Okay, well, how do you stand fast in the Lord? Well, Paul told this, I mean, he said the exact same thing to his disciples at Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 57 and 58, he just got done telling them the same thing he told the Philippian believers in, in Philippians chapter 3. In light of the promised resurrection, when Christ comes for you, you'll be like him. Our vile, corruptible, mortal bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious, immortal, incorruptible body. Verse 57, so, here it is, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that victory, God's victory in us is fulfilled at the rapture of the church. That's your next two blanks. The life of God bursts forth. Your mortal puts on immortality. This body that can get COVID will be certified COVID-free for all of eternity. It, it is incorruptible. You will be like him. 
So understanding that that's the work that God's doing in you, how does that truth, the promise of the resurrection, how does that affect how we live today? Well, verse 58 keeps going. He says, therefore, just like Philippians 4.1, therefore, my, be- my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you were with us in focus, you already know what that is. What was the work of the Lord? What was the work that the Lord was doing when he was here doing his work? Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to see lost men redeemed back to right relationship with the Father, to see the image of God restored in man, to see his followers, right, to see people saved and then conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to make disciples. That's what he came to do. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because it's going to be worth it when you see Jesus. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So get this down. The resurrection of your body to glorification and eternal union with Christ should produce in the believer a sense of determination in our God-given mission on this earth. It ought to make you determined in the mission. Because what we're doing as a local church today, how we're serving together to make disciples, but we, the work that we do today, in light of a right understanding of the resurrection tomorrow, we know it's worth it. So how does that understanding impact, you know, impact the, the, the aspects of our daily living? Well, if we're going to start thinking and living right, look at verse 2. We need to start acting like we're supposed to. We should act right. We should live right. And so, oh God, please give us grace. Here it is. Verse 2, I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying to his disciples, hey, Iodias and Syntyche, I'm begging you gals, get it right. Get it together. Get it right. And... Um, I mean, with names like that, I mean, it may be tough to get it right, but it, odious. <laughs> I mean, okay, so in light, what he said, in light of our eternity together, in light of everything that God's doing in us, why in the world are you girls squabbling among yourselves? Why are you doing that? This is an old problem. It's an old story. You have a personal problem with somebody else in the church, and because you're not seeing things the same way, well, of course, that means war. And so you're doing battle with another brother or sister in the church. And the problem is it becomes a distraction to the rest of the church body. It distracts us from our God-given mission. And watch what Paul says. Does Paul give a rat's patootie who's right or who's wrong? Look at verse, look at verse 2 again. I beseech you, listen, sisters, be of the same mind in the Lord. He doesn't care. He just says get it together with Christ's mindset. I mean, if they were fighting over some doctrinal issue, he would have just set that straight. But they have some personal, interpersonal disagreement. Somebody hurt somebody else, and now they're at war. Paul says it doesn't really matter who does what to whom. You need to get together in the mind of Christ. And when you do that, you'll take the wrong. Wrong is your next blank. If you're going to get that blank right, you've got to put the word wrong in it. Because that's what Jesus did. We already saw this in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind, verse 5, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you weren't called as a Christian to get your own way or even to have your personal rights satisfied. You were called to carry a cross just like your Lord Jesus. You weren't called to receive personal satisfaction. You were called to suffer. And so here's the key. You want to get this down in your notes. Get over you. Just get over you. If you're going to get the mind of Christ, Syntyche hurt me, and that's okay. I can take it. I can forbear that. See, it doesn't matter what the other person did that offended you. That's life. Just get over it. Move on. You know you can't go through life with people without them hurting you. You know that, that's how it works, right? If you're going to have real relationships with people, you have to be able to forbear them because they are inevitably, inexorably, inexorably they're going to come to the place where they hurt you or they disappoint you. They don't meet your expectations. Get the mind of Christ with them. Here we were butchering our creator at Calvary 2,000 years ago, and what did he say? Father, I mean, he's hanging on the cross at Calvary, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the mind of Christ. You can take the wrong because Christ did. You can take the wrong because that's your brother or sister in Christ. I see this all the time. People refuse to engage in ministry with us over some petty personal issue or some, some obscure doctrinal position. And then their mindset is, well, you know, Miles is so insensitive. I should be running this place. I should be in charge of something, but Sam's holding me back. Ah, watch out. Your carnality is showing. See, all you're revealing with that mentality is spiritual short-sightedness. How big is your God? So you can't see the promises of God, just your personal feelings on whatever matter is so important to you, you're going to go to war over it. So you get your nose out of joint again. And Philippians 2, verse 3, already told you, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a command, y'all. God's calling us to that. We got a view. Let's value each other right as better than ourselves. I know you hate it when I ask you to do this, but you ought to turn to your neighbor and you ought to tell them, you're better than me. You're better than me. Now, you may be saying it, but not thinking it, <laughs> and that's okay. It doesn't matter what you think. You never have the right to operate your life outside of the mind of Christ. You may have just told somebody, you're better than me, but you're thinking, but you and I both know I'm better than you. Oh, well, <laughs> no, it's biblically not true. You don't have the right to operate. You don't get to treat anyone any other way other than better than yourself. That's the mind of Christ. See, I see this all the time. Disagreements become big issues, bigger issues that bring you to the point where now all of a sudden you can't even look at another person. You know what I'm talking about? Me and brother so-and-so or you and sister so-and-so got sideways with each other over some issue, and now you can't even look at each other in the eyes. You start avoiding one another. You start subtly rallying others Sides begin to form and statements begin to fly like, I can't believe she, and then just fill in the blank. Here's what she did that makes her less than me. Here's what she did that puts her without, and don't you see I'm within. 
The trash, talk, the trash talk starts flowing. Then everything in ministry comes to a halt because nobody agrees on anything. Everybody's demanding their rights their way. You whisper to your friends about the injustices that you received from your brother in Christ, and all you're really doing is distracting everybody from the mission. And here's what you forgot. God is listening to everything you're saying. In James chapter 5 and verse 9, we are commanded, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. The one who could say, I mean, the creator of heaven and earth, creation is butchering him at Calvary, and he can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, they just don't understand. Forgive them. Don't obliterate humanity right now. Let's redeem them. I can take the wrong. And so the wrath of God is poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. He did none of it, but he took all of God's wrath. Man, if he can forgive and if he can forget our sin against him, throw it as far away from his mind as the east is from the west, you can view your brother's sisters better than you. When somebody's better than you, they get to mistreat you a little bit, and that's okay. When somebody's better than you, they get to, they have the privilege of not meeting all your expectations. That's okay. Jesus is listening. See, don't say that you're right with God if you're not right with his people. Don't do that. You say, well, MBT's got a lot of big problems. Okay, don't complain to me, right? If somebody is mistreating you and it's, and it's, it's aggravating, just remember, this isn't our church. It's God's church, so go tattle on us. Go tell him. Go tell God. Take your gripe to God. But can I tell you something? I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I know that God has you at MBT. He has you here. You know how I know? Because your sanctified keister is setting at 40th and Walnut. That's how I know. That's how I know God has you here, because you're here. And so if something is off here that you can't seem to get worked out with your brother or sister in Christ, take it to God first. And then go humble yourself before your brother and sister and keep their heart. How horrible to win a war against somebody, but then lose them from your life. God has you at MBT, and so rather than engage in the mission that he's given us here, you've chosen instead to gripe. And watch out, because as of today, no one's really listening to your peeing and moaning because they know you're out of your mind. Oh, he just, she just, they just forgot the mind of Christ. That's why they're griping. Bless your heart, sister. Bless your heart, bro. Come on back. I beseech you, Paul says, get the mind of Christ on your grievances. And then verse 3, take on the work of accountability. Accountability is your next blank. He says, and I treat thee also true yoke fellow. Yoke fellow are the fellows that are in the yoke with Paul. That's how you know what a yoke fellow is. It's the people that are with you in the work. Those are the people that were helping the yoke fellow at MBT. Those are the people that are helping to move the discipleship ministry of MBT forward. These are guys like Epaphroditus. And so what he says to the rest of the church, he says, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with, my, with, my, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. See, they used to work with me in the gospel. Now they're hindering the work because their rights got trampled on. Their rights got in the way. They used to work together in ministry. Now the problem is, is they're working on each other. So help us help them get back to a biblical focus. So that's the question on the floor this morning as we wrap up. I mean, what about you? Are you a helper or a hater? 
Don't be hating. Start helping. Where are you at? Did you and I used to labor together in the gospel? Did we used to be yoke fellow together in the work of the ministry, but now you're just subtly, a little here, a little there, you're working against the ministry? I know some of you are here because you got no place else to go. I get that. You're not here for the mission. Maybe you're here till you find somebody to carry back to your cave. That's the only reason you're here. Uh, You're here to try to pick off some weak sheep and distract them from the ministry that God has for them. And from time to time, I'll see it in people, and I'll be tempted to say, hey, you don't get to do that here and run them off. But I don't. I haven't done that. You're still here because it's my job to help you. And you may be thinking, okay, sucker, good luck with that. Or you may be thinking, why is Sam always preaching to me about me or against me? Now, I'm not reading your mail, man. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the Bible that's doing that. No wonder nobody likes me here. No wonder I'm not a big, no wonder I'm not running everything because Sam keeps calling me out. No, no, no. That's not what's happening. I'm helping you. That's what's happening. I love you and I want to hold you accountable to this book. And I know the power of God. I know the power of his word. I know the power of his spirit. And I know how he's working in his church. You, for everything that you think you are, if you're not helping and you're determined to keep hating, you actually can't do anything. You can't mess up what God is doing. God is at work. So you don't scare me. You're either going to get right and get on board, or God will eventually deal with you in his own way. God loves you. He's at work in you. So I can trust him to do that. I'm confident. And honestly, sometimes I can't tell with some of you if God has you here to grow or if Satan has you here to harm the sheep. And I'm not going to sweat it. I'm not going to worry about it. There's a great principle of how God works in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 24 goes like this. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. It's a good work. But while the men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in in thy field? And from whence... Then hath it tares. I mean, how did this happen? He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, you want us to run them out of the church? Wilt thou then that we go and gather, gather them up? But he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Sometimes, you know, with the little tender blades of wheat, you know, they just can't handle a tear being dealt with, and it messes up their life. So no, don't worry about it. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. If you don't help the wheat, well then eventually God will deal with you. That's how it works. But until he does, if you're not pulling with us in ministry, then I'm going to treat you like a true yoke fellow that's refusing to pull. I'm going to call you to get back in the traces. And if I have to, just like Paul did here in Philippians chapter 4, man, how could Miles ever call names from the pulpit? How could he ever do that? Well, Paul did it. I mean, sometimes people are so messed up, they got to be called out. So if I have to, I'll call you out by name. Romeo. Romeo. Romeo, you got to quit treating man kit so bad. Stop treating them like trash, right? I'll just, I'll do it if I have to. Okay, so 
just messing with Romeo. Okay, so we're all family here, right? That's what we are. And as a church family, we're going to share in the same destiny for eternity. So whenever we find a couple people that used to work in the mission, but now they're working on each other, let's call them to be accountable, right? Let's help them to see the light and get right. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's just humbly go to people that are working on each other instead of the ministry and say, hey, come on, we got better things to do with our life. Let's get back involved. Let's help each other. Let's hold each other accountable to the mind of Christ. And if we find that we're straying, let's just go after each other. And if they don't want to hear it, let's just give them space. Let's esteem them better than us. Let's give, the, let's give God room to work on them, but let's call them back. We have something together that we don't have with other people in the world. We have, a, we have in Christ a bond. We have a destiny that will last for eternity, so let's act like it. Let's live like it. That's what's so awesome about our Bible studies and our discipleship relationships. These are first points of contact where people are tactically, practically holding each other accountable to learn and to live the Word of God. That's what we need. We all need that, so jump in. Get right where you need to, and get right if you need to. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're out of time. Ask the worship team to come back, and, and uh, we, won't, we won't necessarily stand and sing because uh, we got to take our break, uh, but we are going to start the break with an atmosphere and an attitude of praise and worship, and if you need to go, you need to go, but if you need to, if you need to get right or if you need to get help, then now's the time to take care of that. Uh, we want to take time with anyone that needs it, Okay. Is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I, I can see an issue that's uh, not in the mind of Christ, and I've got a brother or a sister. They're not right with each other, or I'm not right with them. Pastor, would you pray for me? We need, we need the grace of God to go after one another. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? I see a few. Yeah, okay, okay. Anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. I need to be a part of calling people back to the yoke, to be a part of the ministry, uh, to be a helper, to not, not hurt to the ministry. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't even know if I'm right with God. I'm not even sure I have a real relationship with the Lord. Maybe I, I'm saved, but I'm walking after the flesh. Pray for me. Or maybe you don't know that you're born again. You don't know that you have eternal life in Christ, that you've been reconciled back to the Father through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Is there anybody like that? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss. But if you have a need or a question or if you need counsel, don't go to fellowship. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't go get more coffee until you get that problem settled from the Word of God, all right? Father, you see all the hands, and uh, you see the hands where points of conflict have been acknowledged, and so God, we need your grace to see those worked out. 
We need the mind of Christ, and so Lord, help us to esteem each other better than ourselves. This is a local church, and Lord, our, our brethren here are worth working things out with. God, you're worth us working out and getting the mind of Christ with one another. And so, God, I pray your grace for that. And then, Lord, I pray uh, for those that are saying, uh, Lord, they're, they're, they're not in right relationship with you. God, help us to humble ourselves before you, to get your mind, to get an eternal resurrection perspective, and to join with, you know, we got this great cloud of witnesses, people like the Apostle Paul and uh, Lord, I, I, I thank you for examples from Scripture of people who esteemed you wor worthy of everything and they laid their lives down in your service. Lord, I thank you for the men and women at MBT who set that kind of example. And so, Lord, let's I just pray your grace for my brothers and sisters to be true yoke fellow with people like that and to see the ministry of making disciples move forward from 40th and Walnut. Lord, let it shake the nations for your glory. Lord, I thank you that you love us with a great, a perfect, an eternal, an everlasting, and all-encompassing love. Lord, help us to live in the reality of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.